Well, good morning, Juliet. First, it is good to be with you this morning. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. Hey, uh, one thing I want to share with you this morning, again, thank you for filling out those Next Steps cards. Uh, one thing that we didn't mention this morning was that uh, last week, two people decided that they were going to follow Christ. Two people decided that they were going to follow Christ. And you say, Brad, it's two people. I hope you don't forget that, that we have agreed to pray for 50. And over the last month and a half, we have about six or seven that have dedicated their lives to Christ. And that is amazing. Just in the last month and a half, we've had seven people, six or seven people say yes to Jesus Christ. So we can celebrate that this morning, can't we? Well, we are in this Lenten series called Worlds Apart, and we have been journeying through Lent with Jesus to the cross, but not only to the cross, but one of the most uh, uh, magnificent, most uh, significant times in history known as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's through this Lenten series that we, we follow the stories of Jesus, we lean into the stories of Jesus, and Jesus begins to tell us about the world in which we come from, but also the world in which he comes from. And at first, these worlds appear as if they're like completely apart, completely separate. But yet God, through Jesus, comes in and he gives us new eyes for a new world where he begins to take his world and make it part of ours. It doesn't seem right. And over the last four weeks, we've seen that Jesus is out in the wilderness where he's beginning to be tested. And we said the first week that test leads to trust, not compromise. And over the last three weeks, we've had these really cryptic, weird conversations between Nicodemus and Jesus and this woman at the well and Jesus. And they're very weird, they're very nuanced, and, and they don't make sense at the very beginning. But this is the whole beauty of what God is doing in those stories, is that he is taking two worlds that were never meant to be together, and he is converging them into this one called the kingdom of God. And you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, this is the space in which you and myself, we were called to live as God's people, the kingdom of heaven. That is not experienced when we die. It is experienced in the, the moment that we say yes to him. The moment you say yes to him is the moment that you have the eternal life that he promises. And we give thanks for that. Welcome to the, the series, Worlds Apart. Would you pray with me this morning before we start? Lord, this morning, we're going to let silence speak to us as you begin to work in our hearts and minds. Speak to us today, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've got to be honest, uh, I love our kids. I don't mean my kids. I do love them too, most days. But uh, I love our, our entire church kids that we have. Do you understand that in the 130 to 140 people that attend this church on any given Sunday, 30 to 40 of those are children? Do you know that there are churches that run two, three, four hundred 400 that would dream to have 30 and 40 kids at their church? We value, if you're new to Juliet First, one of the things we value at this church is we value kids. In fact, we did a whole series where we said kids are not the future of the church. That drives me nuts when people say that. Kids are not the future of the church. They are the church right now. And we believe in so much in our kids that following Easter, we're going to start uh, our renovations on our kids' wing where the, the foyer or the fellowship hall used to be. We're going to start our kids' renovation, and we're excited for the wing that's going to be the kids' wing. Uh, but one of the things that I love most about our church family is that our kids participate in the life of our church. You see, every Sunday, one of the things I love is that our kids join us in worship. 
Now, they may not sing with us, but they're listening. And, and you know it when you go home and they're singing the same songs that we were singing this morning. The other thing that I love about our kids is, is passing of the peace. It is fun to watch our kids. Now, some of you will go around and you won't say, peace be with you. You just shake hands, say hi. But our kids have got this down. They get it. Right? And in fact, Jesus says, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you must be like these. So we should actually look to the example of our kids when passing the peace. Because when they go around, I mean, they pass it. It is like, hey, peace be with you. In fact, Julia, Julia Yanchek is my favorite. I'll be looking at other people, we'll be shaking hands, and she will come up, and she will grab my arm, and she will spin me around to let me know it's time to pass the peace. And she will say, peace be with you, Pastor. I love it. One of the things I love is that they really have journeyed with us through this Lenten season. I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird, but on the Ash Wednesday, when we impose ashes on our kids' heads, there is something about that moment that melts my heart. There's something about that moment that literally brings me to tears. I don't know if it's the awareness that I am closer to death than they are, or if it's the awareness that someday my kids will be like us, and they will go through sickness, they will go through trouble, they will go through trial, and eventually they will die. And that is heartbreaking. But to say that our kids don't get it is wrong, because they do. In fact, I, I had a response from, from Jeannie this last week. She said, a delayed Ash Wednesday response. Caleb came up, me, up to me tonight, and he said, Mom, I'm scared. And Jeannie said, why are you scared, son? And he said, because when I die, I'm going to turn into dirt? I mean, this is it. What a profound thought by a, by a five-year-old. Is he five or six? By a six-year-old. That a six-year-old could grasp the understanding that when he dies to dust, he will return. He will become dirt. And this morning, that is the recognition that we have to make in order to figure out where we're going to start from. So this morning, I just need you to turn to your partner and acknowledge the elephant in the room, and that is, you are dirt. Turn to your partner and say, I am dirt. I am dirt. We are dirt. It's a weird statement, isn't it? It's a weird feeling to admit that you are dirt, right? This morning we're going to be looking at John's gospel in, in chapter 9. So if you want to flip there in your Bibles, flip there. We have it on the worship folder in front of you. But, but i got to clarify a few things before we start. First of all, uh, last week I told you that John was the brother of Jesus. And last week we said you must unlearn everything you've ever learned because you don't know what you think you know. And I am a living testament of that last week that I don't know what I thought I knew because Jesus, John is not the brother of Jesus. He's the first cousin of Jesus. And so I really am embarrassed by this moment that I'm admitting to you, church, that I was wrong. But it proves my point last week uh, that we have to unlearn everything we've ever known. But the story last week that we learned about John is that he is a relative of Jesus. He witnesses this conversation with Jesus at the, at the well with this woman. And we said last week that it wasn't so much about the woman as it was about what Jesus was doing in John. You see, John thought he had this special relation, intimate relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I need you to understand it's about a radical purpose, not intimacy. And that became the catalyst for John's gospel, where he talks about what it means to believe in the Messiah, not the miracle. Right? We talked about this last week, that John says you have to believe in the Messiah, not the miracle. But yet, John goes on to talk about the miracles, and he calls them signs. 
And the reason that John gives us signs in his gospel is because he is wanting us to understand that these are moments where the eternal God meets us on earth in this moment and that he is converging God's world with ours. That there is this thin space when Jesus performs a miracle where heaven is a a reality on earth. And so John wants us to understand this whole idea of worlds apart is that when Jesus performs these miracles, he is converging and merging two worlds into this beautiful place where eternal life is experienced. Right? Do you you hear that this morning? Because that's where we're headed. Eternal life is experienced. If you would, turn with me to John 9. We're going to get John 9, verses 1 through 12. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? It says, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, nor this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. His night is coming. When no one can work. While I am the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground. Do that with me. Yeah, don't spit on your neighbor, just spit in front of you. After saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went, he washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had uh, formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, this man only looks like him. It's not really him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. I love that language. I'm the man. (laughs) How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some money. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I'm not really certain, he said. This is the word of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning, I'm going to stick close to my notes so I don't say things I shouldn't. Uh, and I just need a little help from my notes from this morning. I hope that's okay with you. But Jesus has a way of using words and providing images that move us to something deeper and more profound. In fact, depth is discovered in the backstory. I need you to see that this morning because some of you don't know how to read the Bible yet, and this is how I want you to read the Bible. That depth, the depth of what Jesus is doing is discovered in the backstory. And we say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? You know, it's interesting. Last week we had a conversation about water. Now, when I'm reading the Bible, whenever I hear this word water, my mind automatically goes back to God's grand narrative where we see water at the very beginning of time, where water is the entire universe and it is chaos, but even more so, it takes me back to the Exodus. You see, it takes me back to this place where the Israelites are finding freedom and salvation because of the God who hears their cry and he moves them out into the wilderness, but they come upon this mass body of water known as the Red Sea. And we find that the Egyptians then are chasing them and they're fearful and they're afraid of what was going to happen. Suddenly, freedom and salvation feels like it's going back to captivity. But then God shows up, right? God shows up and, and what does he do? He parts the sea. 
he splits the water, he moves the water then to move the Israelites through to give them salvation and freedom. So when we hear this word water last week, what we hear in the story is God is giving this woman who is, who is enslaved to her identity as an outcast is now being given freedom and salvation. What a beautiful story. The other thing, two weeks ago, uh, when Pastor Shane was here, he talked to us about wind, right? And automatically, when I hear the word wind, I, I think back to the beginning of the story where we find God's spirit, his breath, his, like we say, you got to spit when you say it, his ruach. You'll understand this later on. That his breath is the wind, and we find the wind of God hovering over the chaos, removing chaos, and filling it with goodness. So you have to go back. You've got to get, go, to understand the depth, you've got to go to the backstory. So, the, so this morning, Jesus gives us some imagery, right? What does he use today that should take us back to a different kind of story? What does he use today? Dirt. I'm, Jeannie, you've got to quit giving me answers. You're like varsity up here. Uh, I need somebody else. What is God using today? Dirt, right? He's using dirt this morning. And immediately my mind goes back to the beginning. Because this is a story about new beginning. Think about this. We have to go back to the backstory. In Genesis, we find that, that the Lord formed a man from the dust and the ground. And listen to this. He breathed, he breathed into the man's nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I love this. Our world was not created by original sin. I don't care what anybody tells you. Our world was not created with original sin. In fact, it was created, as Richard Rohr would say, with original goodness. You see, when God picks us up from the dust and he breathes life into us, he says, this is my creature which is beautiful and good. I love that picture. I love that image. And I love it when he says, my creatures are beautiful and good. He says, I'm going to give them a new rhythm of life. And this is important because throughout the entire narrative in the beginning, we see this rhythm that begins to take place. And it looks something like this. God told them. They went, and they could. Say that with me. He told them, they went, and they could. One more time. He told them, they went, and they could. He told them, they went, and they could. This is the rhythm that God is giving his new people, his new creation. I love it. You see, God told them all of the good that they were created to do. And then they went about being fruitful and multiplying and, and, and working the ground and giving names to animals. This is what God told them to do. And it is only when they went that they could experience, they could become the image of God that he created them for. Do you hear this? I told you. I went. I could. And do you understand this this morning? That dirt no longer has the connotation the way Caleb understood it. You see, when God takes dirt and he breathes life in it, he says, you are good and I will tell you to do this. You will go and you will experience the possibilities of all that I have for you. This is what I mean by dirt. So I need you to say it with me because this is a good thing. I am dirt. Tell your neighbor, I am dirt. This is a good thing. I'm dirt. Somebody said that with some straight southernness to it. I'm dirt. <laughs> 
dirt has a different connotation in the, in the beginning. But, uh, but there's a shift in the story, and you know this. Look what happens when the idolatry of self and selfishness becomes the new pattern. We move from a rhythm of God told me I went and I could to he told me I didn't and we can't or we couldn't. Now, this is important. Y'all should take notes on this. We move from a rhythm from went and could to didn't and can't. It's interesting that God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the garden or from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But Eve doesn't listen. And immediately the life becomes, the norm for life becomes can't, not could. You see, life created for original goodness now gives way to a separated existence, keeping Eve from the potential possibilities of all that God had for her and all that she could do. Life moves from could to can't. And this is the lie of Satan. This is the lie of the accuser, right? Notice that Eve's decision to eat from the tree is founded upon the lie of can't. Eve's decision to eat from the tree was not only in her idolatry, but it was in the lie of can't because Satan gets into her mind and accuses her and says, you can't know what God knows. Notice her idolatry of can't becomes what she craves. That's important. Notice her idolatry of can't becomes what she craves. She wants to know what she can't know, and so her whole life is now founded upon everything that she can't do, and she ignores everything that God told her she could do. See, we feast on can't. Let me just tell you this. The language of can't is original sin. Original sin is found in the language of can't. You see, we were, in, we were created with original goodness, but because we use the language of can't, that is the original sin. And we buy into the lie of can't, you and me. Right? The accuser shows up at your door and tells you, you can't be a good mom. You can't be a good dad. You can't be a good husband. You can't experience God the way you think you should. You can't start a new business. You can't live like a Christian at work. These are the lies of can't that begin to feed our minds over and over and over and over again. And we begin to embrace the, the can't and we forget that we could. I need you to hear this this morning. That the moment we relinquish to the original sin of can't, when we begin to use the language of can't, we are, the result is this, we are returning all of God's possibilities. You see, when we use the language of can't, it is the return of goodness. It is the return of life. It is the return of all that God has in store for you. You are giving it back saying, I don't want it anymore because I can't. And God says, I told you, there was a day when you went and you could. But I told you, you didn't 
and you can't. And because of that, one day, you took the dust that I created you out of and you've abused it. You have mutilated it. No longer will it be the image, but you will return to dust, my friends. Do you understand the shift there? That we go from being created in the goodness of dirt, which we celebrate that we are dirt, to now there is this, this connotation of negativity that we are dirt. And one day, that's what we're becoming. Do you feel the depth and the weight of that this morning? I need you to understand that so I can tell you this. There came a point in history. There came a point in history where, where God hears the cry of his people. He hears the cry of those in exile. He hears the cry of those who were enslaved to the world of a can't and says, this can't be. Some of y'all should be excited about this. Do you not know that God hears your cry? Do you not know that God sees you in your, the midst of exile? Does, do you not think that he sees you when you're saying, I can't, and says, this can't be? Somebody say amen. My goodness, that was good. This is good preaching this morning. I don't know why y'all are sleeping so much. But, but we, we find that through Jesus, God begins to re-narrate reshape, and I'm going to use a word that's not even real, real but re-rhythmicize, I like that. re you ever heard that one before? No, okay, good, that's original, I'll, I'll take credit for that. He begins to re-rhythmicize the way of life and the way it was meant to be. Now, I need, I need you to see the parallel this morning. There's a reason we just talked about Genesis, the goodness, and then the fall, and the can't. Because God is giving us a new rhythm. I want you to turn back to the story in, in, in verse 9. Verse 6, it says this. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Don't, don't you see what's going on here? That God, through Jesus, Jesus, who is God, reaches into the dirt in front of this blind man, and he picks it up, and he... Where else do we see this? If he had to spit, it had to come from his mouth. When God created from the dust and he breathed, it had to come from his mouth. Once again, God is breathing life into this dirt and he puts it on the man's eyes and he says, enjoy the new rhythm that I'm giving you. Enjoy this new rhythm. And, and, and check out the story. I love it. It gets even better. It says that he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who, who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg, who was blind, who couldn't, who can't, who just didn't? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it just looks like him. And this man stood up and he said, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. Now listen to this. This is the rhythm. He replied, the man they called Jesus took some dirt, he breathed life into it, he put it on my eyes, and hear it now, he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, I went, and I washed, and I could, woo, woo, he told me, I went, I could, he told me, I went, I could, he told me, I went, I could, this is a story of new creation. For years, I've heard people say, this is a story about new creation. 
What does that mean? Well, this is what it means. God is giving us the original rhythm of goodness in our life because he is telling you what to do. And when you go and do what he asked of you, you get to experience the possibilities of all that could be in your life. What a beautiful, beautiful story. You see, don't you see it? Jesus is undoing, hear this now. Jesus is undoing the cant of humanity. Jesus is undoing the curse of creation. He is restarting the original rhythm that he, he originally created. And he is reorienting our lives toward this again. And this is really a foretelling of Jesus. I mean, think about it. When Jesus comes out of the tomb, do they recognize him? No. When this man is given a new rhythm of life, when God breathes life into him, what do they say? Is this the same man? You see, some of you are still in the world of can't. You're not hearing me this morning. God has so many possibilities for you, and I love it when God's mercy and his grace moves in our lives. People begin to ask, is that the same person? Right, when you show up at work on Monday morning, they say, is this the same person? Where was the impatient prick that was working with me yesterday? That is now the loving, merciful, kind, and patient, and forgiving kind of guy or gal. I mean, when we give over to what he could do in our lives, I'm telling you, the possibilities are endless. And don't you see that's what creation is about? Don't let anybody tell you that you are original sin. You are original goodness, created for life, created to bring life and to be life for people who need it the most. Thank you for all of you that are responding. I love how it ends here. I'm going to be reading from the message just because it captures it so well. But the religious people, go figure, uh, don't like what's happened. This is what it says in the message. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I love what he says. I've told you over and over and over again. Haven't you listened? Well, why, don't, why do you want to hear it again? Are you eager to become his disciples as well? <laughs> With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. <laughs> we're the real, real religious people. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but... But we have no idea where this man comes from. The man replied, the blind man replied, this is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened my eyes. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind and he's never heard of ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do this. They said to him, hear this now. This is the response to him. You are nothing but dirt. You are nothing but dirt. How dare you take this tone with us? <laughs> That's what it says here. I love that. How dare you? And then they threw him on the street. You are nothing but dirt. You know what I find ironic this morning? What they intend to be a curse is what God uses to make them new. Somebody say amen now. Come on now. What they meant to be a curse, you are dirt, is what God uses to make him new. 
And this is what I need you to know today, that we are what he uses. We are what he uses. You see, some of you think that your past is always catching up with you. But don't you realize that God wants you to to look at that past and say, this is what God used to make me whole and new again. That is the beauty of the new creation story. That is the beauty of it. We are what he uses. Wendell Berry, by the way, great poet, great writer, great philosopher, says this about soil. The soil is the great connector of lives. It is the source and destination of all. It is the healer and restorer and the resurrector by which Jesus passes into health, age into youth, death into life. I love that. Without proper care for the soil, we can have no community. Because without proper care for it, we cannot have life. Whoo. I need you to see past your failures, your problems, your issues, and and just realize that no longer are you under the language of can't, but you are a new creation in Christ who says you can and you could. Here's what I need you to do today. I need you to move. New creation moves from can't to could. New creation moves from can't to could. And this is the declaration. I'm the man. I'm the woman. I am dirt. Say it now because it's great, isn't it? I am dirt. Tell your neighbor, I am dirt. It's beautiful. We are what he uses. I love in the story, I'm going to close with this. I love in the story where Jesus tells him to go. He says, I'm telling you to go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Now, it's interesting that, that this pool that he goes to is about 30 feet wide and, 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 or 30 feet long and, and, and 20 feet wide. And the reason that it was called the pool of Siloam or the pool of scent is because the water ran, was sent through the entire city to get to the pool. Now, think about this visual with me. If we are what he uses, then we are what he sends. You see, we are to be sent. We are to be the undercurrent, just like this pool, just like this river. We are to be the undercurrent that now begins to move into the city and begins to re-narrate the world around us to tell people you are a new creation in Christ. You see, Joliet is here not so we can complain about how bad it is. I do that often, by the way. I really don't like Joliet, but, but God has sent it for a reason. Right? He, he is, he's saying you are sent and, and, and your life will be an example to this city of what could be and not what is. This is the city of Kants, by the way. I mean, it looks like a small version of Pittsburgh, and I hate Pittsburgh. <laughs> but there is, I'm, I'm telling you, when people look at Joliet, they don't say that is the city of Kans. I know people who will not come from New Lenox to shop in Joliet because it's Joliet. I know people will will not come to church in Joliet because it's Joliet. My cousin calls it the Joylet. And I'm telling you now, ladies and gentlemen, we will not accept that. As a church that is placed in this community, 
we are people who will be sent into this community to be the life-giving force of what life could be for people here. And here's another thing that I don't understand. I'm kind of on a rampage here, but I promise I'll settle down. One of the things I don't understand is who we get sent to. Why is it that when we get sent, we think we have to be sent to a bunch of other people who are already Christians? I was having a discussion with somebody this week who, who very good discussion, working through how do I experience the new life God is giving me, but cutting off the old. And I, I know that's what we've kind of been taught our whole life, that we just have to cut off everything in, in order to experience a new thing. But it, to some degree, your experience, your spiritual relationship with God is not solely dependent upon people in the past. Sure, it depends on people. But what bugs me is that we think that when we become Christians, we have to cut everybody off that we ever knew because they have influence on us. Now, if you have an addictive personality, that's one thing. Yeah, you probably should forget that and move on. But if you are just enjoying life and, and maybe feeling like that's not where life is, have you ever considered that perhaps God has called you out here to experience this, to then go back here and be an example to the people that you used to live with, where they will say, is this the same person? Right? I heard one pastor say this week, we are so stoked about reaping the harvest that we steal from other people's barns. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's good to be in fellowship. It's good to be around Christian people. It's good to be in church. It's good to lift each other up. But at some point, God is sending us to the places where it is lifeless. God is sending you to your town, your city, your work, your life, your family, your homes, whatever it may be. God is sending you there to be an example of life. To tell people, I used to live in the can't, but now I can. Because there are so many possibilities that God has for us. Would you live into the life that God has created you for? Would you experience the life force that he intends to give you? And would you be moved? Would you be sent? Would you be the undercurrent of the city that's deprived of his life? Let's pray together. Lord, we give thanks for your goodness to us, for your mercy to us. You are a God that moves in our lives and he begins to, to change who we are. Lord, may we realize that we have a responsibility to the people who don't know you. That we must be moved back into their lives to give them hope and to be an example. So Lord, we pray that you would move us. We pray that we would be sent. We pray that we would say yes to being a new creation, that we would move from can't to could. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If our communion service would come forward this morning. One of the things that we, we do every week is we dine at the King's Table of Grace. And this is a place where we believe not only is God's grace received, but the God will give you power in this moment to move from where you are to where you need to be, from the can't to the could. So if this message, if this time of being in church has spoken to you this morning, this is a time where you come up and you receive God's power, you receive his goodness, and, and you receive the body and blood as a way of saying, I can.
because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of Jesus' life, I can today. And when you're done with communion, we ask that you fill out in the back of the card a way that God is working in your life. Perhaps this is the first time that you said yes to Christ in your life. Would you let us know that? We need to know your story. We need to hear that this morning. So please share with us as you share it in the table this morning.